Today, Pastor Javen begins a new series as we lead up to Christmas called King. Today we'll look at the gift of gold the wise men brought baby Jesus and see the significance behind that gift. Take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. It's from Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, Come back and tell me so I can go worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Father, we thank you for the word that we have today and every day with us that we can live by. Father, help us to cherish it in our hearts. And we thank you for the word today from Matthew that reminds us of the story of these men who traveled to witness the birth of the one who is the king of the Jews, but not just the king of the Jews, who is the king of kings. Help us, Father, to learn today from them, from their heart, from their pursuit. And help us, Father, to worship you every day of our life as the king of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're a parent, you may remember having baby showers for yourself. Right? Remember those, how awesome those showers? I, I mean, those showers, we, I remember the big ticket items, the strollers, the baby seats, and the playpen, all that stuff. Those were great. I remember my, one of my favorites was the youth gave us, when I was a youth pastor, they gave us a diaper shower, just loaded us with a bunch of diapers. We didn't have to buy diapers for months. It was awesome. But you also got those uh, other necessary items like baby clothes, baby toys, right? Uh, uh, baby snot suckers, those things. You have to have those things. You you need those. But in any shower that we had, and I've never been to it. I don't go to many baby showers, but anyway, uh, any of the showers that we had, I never, we never had the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh brought to any of our showers. I don't know if any of you ever had those gifts brought to your shower, but in, the, in our opening text this morning, Matthew chapter 2, we read this scripture where 
these men travel and they come and, and, and they bring these gifts to Jesus and to Mary and to Joseph. It's, uh, you know, we are now entering into this time of year. It's my favorite time of the year, this season, this time where we celebrate Christmas. And we as followers of Christ, we know we celebrate, as Pastor Brian was mentioned earlier, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and what this means. And this story that we read this morning from Matthew chapter two, this is the story of Christmas. It's the story of Christmas following the wise men. It's the story of a pursuit of a king. Now, when Jesus was born, you know, there, it, was, it was a momentous occasion for those who knew what was happening. For those who were aware of what was taking place, they celebrated it, they honored it in such a way. But the world by and large was clueless. They were unaware of this birth of this baby and what this meant and what this signified. They didn't realize what was happening. Today, in our world today, now more than ever, the world is aware of Jesus Christ who Jesus is. They're aware of what Christmas is supposed to represent. The birth of Jesus Christ, the birth of a savior, a Messiah, a King. But now almost more than ever, it's interesting that many aren't really wanting to celebrate and honor Christmas for that reason. Some are not even wanting to celebrate and honor Christmas at all. We just came out of the book of Daniel in a series we called in it, not of it. And we, followed the journey of the captives from Judah to Babylon and what happened to them, how God used Daniel and his friends during that time. And maybe you remember when Daniel, in Daniel chapter two, when he rescued the group of wise men by revealing to Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was, when he wanted to kill everyone, all those wise men, those magi, those astrologers, those interpreters of dreams, when he wanted to kill them because they couldn't tell him what he dreamed the night before, Daniel did it. Maybe you remember what Daniel was appointed after he did that. He was appointed the leader of who? The wise men. He was appointed the leader of these magi, these astrologers. And in one of those early messages of that series, I told you that it's not a stretch to think that Daniel had an influence on these wise men that led to this moment of them journeying and traveling a very far, long way to find this baby, this king. There's no reason. Daniel had influence over the king, Nebuchadnezzar. We saw the king begin to make proclamations of a sovereign God. We, it, it appears that Daniel had influence over the king, King Darius. When Darius made proclamations over a sovereign God, it's not a stretch to think that if, da, if Daniel can have influence over a king Nebuchadnezzar, over King Darius, that he wouldn't also have influence over a body, over a group of wise men to be able to influence their lives. It's not a stretch there. It's not a stretch to think that these astrologers, these magi, these wise men, these interpreters of dreams went from worshiping the stars to worshiping the creator of the stars. You know, it's likely that these guys had the prophecies of Daniel 
that we just studied from Daniel chapter 7 through Daniel chapter 12, that they likely had Daniel chapter 9, what we see at the end of that chapter. And he's listing these days, these years, and these, this time frame. And if you line that time frame up, it could very well line up with the time that Jesus was born. So when they saw this star come out of nowhere that's different than any other, it's like they're thinking it's lining up. Everything is lining up. And it's, it's not a stretch too to, to, to think back to a passage that we see in Numbers chapter 22, verse 24, where there could be a connection with these Babylonians and these wise men, these interpreters of dreams, because there was a guy in this passage of scripture, Numbers chapter 22, verse uh, through chapter 24, by the name of Balaam. I don't know if you've ever heard of Balaam. It's a fascinating account and story from the book of Numbers. Humorous, I find it. (laughs) And I'll show you why I think it's humorous. Uh, I like humor. I like funny. Um, but Balaam, it's, when you read this passage of scripture, it almost looks like Balaam is this follower of God. He is a, uh, he, he's, God is his God and God alone. But when you look through the context of scripture as a whole later in different Old Testament accounts, we see that Balaam is someone who misled the Israelites. He, or, or he influenced the Moabs on how to mislead the Israelites. In John's revelation, Jesus speaking to John in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus even confirms this, that Balaam misled or used the Moabites to mislead Israel, causing many of them to slip and to fall into temptation. We see throughout scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, Peter's second letter, uh, Jude, the brother of Jesus in the letter he wrote, that Balaam did everything he did for the sole purpose of getting money. That's why Balaam did what he did. He appeared to be someone who followed God and God alone, but his motives was always about money. Well, in Numbers 22 to 24, we see where a king by the name of Balak sends for, uh, he sees Israel coming towards his area, area and he's scared of them. So he sends a group of people to go to, uh, to, go to Balaam and tell them that I don't need you to come back and curse this nation of Israel. And Balaam tells his group, he says, all right, you guys spend the night and, uh, and I'm going to, uh, go to sleep and have a dream and talk to God. And so, uh, so he does that, but see Balaam lived in an area called Pethor. It was just the Northern part of Euphrates, which was just above Babylon. So somewhere in their history, based on what we know that Balaam did through history, he was a sorcerer. He worked with magic. He did things like this. He cursed people. He blessed people when people gave him money. All right. And so, uh, so, so there could have been a connection there. So he goes to sleep. God tells him in a dream, he says, do not go back with these guys. The nation of Israel is blessed. You cannot curse it. So he tells them, I can't go back with you. They go back. Balak sends more people back with higher officials to come back and try to sway Balaam to go back with them. So he tells them, God, uh, God then tells Balaam, just go ahead and go with them. So Balaam gets on his donkey. If you've never heard this story, if you've never read this story, gets on his donkey, he's riding his donkey. All of a sudden, his donkey sees an angel with a sword. Nobody else sees the donkey. The donkey gets scared, flies off into an open field with Balaam on his back. Now get that picture in your head. Balaam, wow, you know. Everybody watching, everybody looking, the people like, what in the world is going on? Balaam gets angry at his donkey, beats his donkey. Donkey didn't do nothing. They go back, they get traveling down the road. Uh, His donkey sees an angel again. This time it scares him. It throws Balaam up against this big rock, hurts Balaam's ankle. He gets mad again, beats his donkey. Poor donkey. They're going a little bit further down the road. Donkey, they're in this narrow 
place in their journeys. Donkey sees the angel. He can't turn around. He can't do anything at this time. It's too tight. So the donkey just goes to the ground. He's not moving. He's not going anywhere. Balaam goes down with the donkey. Gets mad at his donkey. Starts blessing his donkey out. I mean, this is historic road rage, right? I mean, he's just... Not at other people. He's mad at his own vehicle. (laughs) Maybe you've been there before too. Um, Beating his donkey. And then his donkey talks to him. Says, what did I do to deserve you beating on me? You should read your Bible. Then... Balaam responds to his donkey. You have embarrassed me in front of all of these people. Yeah, the donkey embarrassed you. <laughs> now, I, th- this is how my mind works. I don't know if this is how you're, but I'm sitting here, I'm re- I study this, I'm reading this, and I'm wondering. Because scripture doesn't tell us if everybody else heard the donkey speak. Does everybody else just hear, and Balaam talking back? To the donkey and having this conversation back and forth with the donkey. I don't know. This is how my mind works. I'm just wondering. And I also think it's funny that God doesn't let Balaam see why the donkey's doing what it's doing. He doesn't let him see the angel until after he's had the conversation with the donkey. If I'm Balaam, I'm probably thinking, it would have been nice if you'd have shown me that angel before I started beating and talking to my donkey. I mean, now I really do look like a fool. But Balaam goes back with these guys and several times Balak tries to take him to these different places to get him to pronounce a curse over the nation of Israel. But what God has blessed, no one can curse. And so Balaam is not allowed to curse. In fact, God's spirit overtakes Balaam and speaks prophetically. And one of the things he says through Balaam is that I see him. I see him, but not here, not now. I perceive him, but it's far off in a distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. Judah was the founder, the leader of the tribe of Judah. The land of Judah, who was taken captive by Babylon who Daniel resided in, who Daniel ended up having a connection with wise men who studied stars, who would eventually follow a star that rested over Jerusalem, that led them to the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ. It's a phenomenal connection. These wise men, they traveled so far, they came into Jerusalem and it doesn't tell us who they asked, but they stopped somewhere and they asked them, they said, where is this man, this baby who was born king of the Jews? That's the essence of the story. It's the, it's a story of the pursuit of a king. And that's what it all boils down to in our life. Who or what are we pursuing? Who or what are we going after? Who or what are we bowing down to? 
Because something in our life sits on the throne. We either put ourselves on that throne or we're putting someone or something else on that throne that we think benefits us the most. But the throne of our life is meant for Jesus Christ and God alone. But there's also another king in this story that we see. He's a king by the name of Herod. We know from history and from the accounts of Herod, Herod was a very ostentatious king. He was also a very paranoid king. If he had any inkling that someone was trying to overtake his throne, he was jealous. He was paranoid. He wanted to do everything he could to protect his throne. In fact, he had his wife killed because he thought that she was trying to deceive him and work behind his back. Not only his wife, he had his three sons killed for the same reason. And now he's hearing that there's a king of the Jews being born. So he wants to find out more about this. So he goes to those who were knowledgeable about the Jews and Jewish history. He goes to the priests and the teachers of the law, the ones who were under his leadership, under his authority. And he tells them, tell me more about this king that's supposed to be born. And they tell him, well, the prophets say he's born in Bethlehem of Judah. So he goes back to the wise men and he tells them, all right, they're supposed to be in Bethlehem. But here, guys, I want you when you get there and you find his exact location, come back and tell me where he is. Because, you know, I want to go worship him too. Well, these wise men, these magi, these interpreters of dreams, they have a dream and God speaks to them and tells them, don't go back to Herod and tell him where Jesus is. Because he doesn't want to go worship him. He wants to kill him. That's why we see in the very next passage, right after these verses that we read, that Herod issued a decree when he got angry, when he realized the wise men didn't come back. And he said, I want every child two years of age and under to be killed in this area. Why two years of age and under? Because that's likely the age of Jesus at this time. So he's just going to go ahead and cover all of his bases. So the wise men eventually locate the home. And you probably heard me say this might be the age of Jesus. See, Jesus probably wasn't an infant. He, the, the wise men probably didn't arrive at Jesus' birth on the night of his birth that we see talked about in Luke chapter 2. These guys had to travel afar. How far? Afar, right? And they, tried, they had to travel a long way. And so they arrive at the house where Jesus is. These wise men pursued this king. They worshiped this king when they saw him and they honored this king with gifts. And one of those gifts was a gift of gold. Gold is a gift of royalty. It's the the gift for a king. And so they were symbolizing to Jesus, they were symbolizing to Mary and to Joseph and anybody that was around them. We recognize This isn't just another baby born. This baby is a king of the Jews. But not only is the king of the Jews, he's a king of kings. Paul, when he wrote his letter to the church of Galatia in Galatians chapter four, verses four and five, he wrote these words to them and he told them, he said, when the right time came, these guys have been waiting for, God had been silent in this nation for over 500 years. Paul said, when the time was right, 
God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law and God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. At just the right time, God sent Jesus in his first coming to rescue us from what had us bound and captive. Sin. And even the law that was trying to keep us from sinning. We're still captives to this law, Paul said. Because we can't in our own power overcome sin. And God sent his son Jesus at just the right time to help us break that curse of sin. And to become children of God. And then Paul would later write to Timothy. We see it in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. He would write to Timothy and he would tell him these words. He said, he'll say, for at just the right time. When, when is Jesus' second coming? We've talked about this a lot in the last few. When does it say? Paul says it this way. At just the right time. Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God. As who? The king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Paul could not have used any greater emphasis in the Greek when he was describing Jesus as the king of kings. He couldn't have used the Greek language with any more emphasis in describing this. In other words, Jesus is the supreme king over all. Over the entire cosmos, Jesus is the king of all kings. And if Jesus is this king, no one expected this king to be born into poverty the way that Jesus was born into. Nobody expected this king to be born in the lowliest of places. But here in the meekness of this home, at the feet of a toddler, these wise men bow down with his humble young, poor couple as parents. And they worship him, recognizing him as king. There's three responses to Jesus as king in this passage of scripture that you may have noticed. And each of these responses could represent our response in our life. One is Herod. Herod hears of this king. Herod opposes Jesus as king. Why does he oppose Jesus as king? Because Jesus is a threat to what he's building. Jesus is a threat to his kingdom. And anything that's a threat to my kingdom, Herod says, I'm going to oppose it. We see the response or lack of response from the priests, the teachers of the law. Scripture in in these, these, the gospels didn't tell us that these guys went to see the birth of the baby Jesus. So apparently they ignored everything that was happening. They, they didn't consider it relevant. They didn't consider it important. The wise men traveled a very long way. The priests and the teachers of the law lived right around the corner and didn't even go see what was happening. And then you've got the wise men who travel this far, long way to see what all of these prophecies that they had heard about, about this king, And Matthew tells us in his account, and just like Paul couldn't have used any greater emphasis to describe the the kingship of Jesus Christ and his authority, Matthew couldn't have used any greater emphasis to describe the joy that the wise men had when they found Jesus. Our scripture, the, the passage we read this morning says that they were filled with joy. 
That's actually really a weak description of the joy that they had. There's other translations said that they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. And that's better. But when you look at the, the Greek language and, and you look, there's three words that Matthew writes basically describing the joy of these wise men in the presence of Jesus. And it would be awkward to read because what he's saying basically is they rejoiced exceedingly, exceedingly great with a really large amount of joy. So in other words, they were overflowing with an indescribable amount of joy in their heart, in their life when they came into the presence of this toddler, Jesus. Their response was to pursuing, to recognizing, rejoice when they found him and worship him. What is your response? How do you respond to this king? How do you respond to Jesus? Do you see Jesus as a threat to your kingdom that you're building? And so he's a threat, so I need to oppose him. I need to argue everything about Jesus. Do you see him as irrelevant, unimportant? So I'm just going to ignore him. I'm going to ignore who he is. I don't need Jesus. Jesus is unimportant in my life. Or do you see him for who he is? The son of the living God, the king of kings, the Messiah. Do you, do you rejoice with overflowing joy in his presence? Jesus Christ is the king. The great thing about this king is he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. The great thing about this king is he himself was a gift. He was the gift of living water for our life. The great thing about this king is this king didn't just bring salvation. He was salvation personified. Jesus was recognized as king at his birth, at his first coming. And he will fully assume the role of king at his second coming. Let's go back real quick. Revelation chapter 19. I want you to see the words of John describing what he saw when Jesus comes. Then I saw heaven opened. It's verse 11. And a white horse was standing there. His rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. What did John say when he wrote his gospel? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses and from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations the author of Hebrews tells us the word of God is sharper than any double edged sword he will rule them with an iron rod he will release the fierce wrath of God the almighty like juice flowing from a wine press and on his robe at his thigh was written this title king 
of kings and Lord of lords. He is the king of all kings. He is the king of glory. The psalmist would write these words in Psalm 24, verse 7. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors and let the king of glory enter. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors and let the king of glory enter. Who's this king of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies. He is the king of glory. Who is this king? This baby that the wise men brought gold to, to signify, to say, we see you today as king. Who is this king? He's a king of righteousness. He is a king who heals the sick. He is a king who strengthens the weak. He is a king who delivers the captive. He's a king that restores the broken. He's a king that renews the fallen. He's a king that provides. He is a king that brings peace. He is a king that offers shelter. He is a king of indescribable goodness, of incomprehensible power, of irresistible grace. He is a king that death could not defeat. He is a king that the grave could not hold. He is the king of glory. How do you pursue this king? Do you oppose him? Do you ignore him? Or do you honor him today as king with your life? Do you worship him? Do you bow down? Do you reverence your life before the king of kings and lord of lords? He is the king of glory. And I believe today that the Holy Spirit would say to you, open up your heart. And allow this king to enter. Allow the king to enter your life today. Stand with me this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we honor you today as King. Father, I pray for anyone today in this room. that does not have an indescribable joy in their life with you as king. That the enemy which want to darken their life. Father, I pray today by the power of the name of Jesus and his spirit that they would begin to experience a joy in their heart and in their life unlike anything they've ever experienced today, God. Father, I pray if any of us in here today that has responded to you as King God by opposing you. Father, forgive us today. Let us not see you as a threat, but let us see you as the only one who can bring life. pray today that if there's any of us in this room that has ignored you, has considered you irrelevant, considered you unimportant, considered you not worth our time, God, convict our hearts today. 
Father, I pray that in these closing moments, God, that we would take a moment in our heart and in our life to focus our attention completely on you. That we set aside everything, God. And that we bow down and we worship you as King of kings and Lord of lords. That we honor you today for who you are. Father, we thank you for it. Church, I just encourage you today as we go into a moment of worship. And if you haven't never taken that step to recognize Jesus as King and Lord of your life, as your salvation, begin to express it in your heart today. It, it, it needs to be your words to him today. God, forgive me for ignoring you. Forgive me for living my own selfish life. Forgive me for the sin that's in my life. Make him Lord today. Profess him as King. Profess him as Lord of your life today. And worship him as that. If you pray today for the first time to follow Jesus Christ, to pronounce him as Lord, please, if you know somebody, tell them. If you came here with somebody, if you have a friend in this place, tell them. Come tell a pastor, myself, Pastor Brian. Come tell, You can text the word hope. They can put a number on a screen. You can text just the word hope to that number, and I will start a conversation with you. We want to journey with you in following Christ see him transform your life. We're so glad that you are here today. We pray that God blesses you this week. Go be catalysts for transformation for God's glory. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccambin.com. Go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.